You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Simon. I'm David. And I'm Dan. And, oh, I'll tell you what, before we go anywhere on the spot, Dan. It's Dan, 60 seconds on the spot, on the subject of Genesis of the Daleks. Aha, Genesis of the Daleks. I actually think my first experience of Genesis of the Daleks was probably the LP. Um, And it therefore means that... (laughs) Every time after that I've seen Genesis of the Daleks, there are sections of the script that I can <laughs> sort of recite, um, which is probably the case for most Doctor Who fans, really. Um, oh, it's just a fantastic story, isn't it? To go back to the creation of the Daleks? I mean, Were you old audacious. enough to have seen it when it went out, I suppose, on a repeat, perhaps? Uh, no, I think the first time I ever saw it was probably on a video, actually. Oh, right. um, may not have been a BBC video. <laughs> but I'm not allowed to say that. Um, oh, we can say whatever we like. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, as I was saying, it's it's just a really audacious idea, isn't it, to get back to the creation of the Daleks and then and, completely rewrite it, and to completely rewrite it. But setting up, you know, a protagonist like Davros is great because you then allow for you know a real proper sort of engagement with the Doctor, and you know, you can he has this sort of deep philosophical conversation with him. It's just amazing. Yeah, love it. I'll shut up now. Everybody else, thumbs up for Genesis of the Daleks? Absolutely. Everybody gives a thumbs up. I'm going to have to be the odd one out then. Um, moving on. Just kidding. What did you say? Nothing. You've been, you've been Lee tonight. <laughs> silence. <laughs> yeah, silence, but his face told a picture. Um, Gary Akers, who we like to know as? Genakers. Ganakers, not Genakers, Ganakers. Honest to God. Do you even listen to this podcast that you take part in every week? Occasionally. Okay. Tonight's subject will be Daleks. Ooh. <laughs> but before we get on to the Daleks, we have three emails. So I think we'll do one now, one in the middle and one at the end. Um, from Gary Akers. Uh, JR, I am honoured and thrilled that you're going to use my topic on the show. I'm sure it will be great. And for everybody who's listening to this podcast, the podcast that uh, Gary's talking about went out last week, so you'll know whether it was great or not. And everybody's looking at me completely (laughs) blank. Okay, to follow up on your first Doctor show, I want to recommend the recently completed six-part 50th anniversary comic story in Doctor Who magazine, Hunters of the Burning Stone, where the 11th Doctor reunites with Ian and Barbara, the 1965 versions. No spoilers, but those who love those two companions must read this story. It's due to be collected in a graphic novel later this year, if you can wait that long. Anybody here read Doctor Who magazine? Yes. And have you... Yep. Yep. And, well, I read the magazine. Well, I buy the magazine. I never seem to get a chance to read it these days. I've seen the comic strip, but I've not read it. Is it good? It looks good. The trouble is, I just look at the artwork a lot of the time. I don't get time to read it, so mm. I just look at the pictures. You like... can't read anywhere, actually, can you, Simon? No, no, this is it. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's okay. But the pictures I... are nice. 
and God I'm very selective from what I read, so I'm not a huge fan of comics and no. some comic strips. So I tend just to gloss over those pages and tend to read something <laughs> far more interesting like Gallifrey Guardian or the Watcher page, which is always very interesting. Oh, I when I get the magazine, I tend to start at the start and just flick through page after page till I get to the back, looking at the pictures. And then when I get to the comic strip, it's either, oh, Axons or whatever. Yeah, There's always yeah. something in there, isn't there? That's, that's how it was with that strip, actually. I, I didn't Ooh, read Ian it. Barbara. Some lovely reveals at the end of every episode. It was brilliant. Actually, um, for somebody who's not caught up with Doctor Who magazine from six months ago, we probably just spoiled the cliffhangers to that first episode, haven't we? We Hopefully. didn't say what it was, did we? That Ian and Barbara were in it. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me? <laughs> <laughs> um, then Gary says and I'd like to heap tons of praise on Simon for his wonderful illustrations each month for JR's column in Starburst Ooh. as someone who struggles with drawing stick figures I'm constantly amazed by Simon's artistry <laughs> you laughing at you <clears throat> not Simon who struggles with drawing <laughs> stick figures oh, David I'm so sorry I've got the wrong end of the stick <laughs> Unbelievable. And that's tonight's... Wrong wrong end of the stick, man. Hang on. That's tonight's first innuendo to David. (laughs) (laughs) Who'd have thought? (laughs) Oh, behave. Not that you typecast or anything. We don't actually do an innuendo count, but I did figure that tonight I ought to bring it along. I think I might dub one over, actually. (laughs) I'll find a little bell or something to put on there. I thought you said you might have done one already. (laughs) I just wondered if you were... Vying for the count. The innuendo count. JR's new catchphrase mm. is, is that a euphemism, so we're probably going to be using that quite a bit. And my new catchphrase? Yeah. I've been saying that for ages, haven't I? Uh, Gary, one more sentence from Gary. I loved the Peter Cushing Zabi movie poster, the four doctors, and especially the squashed Santa. Great work, Simon. Thank you very much. I just thought it was kind of nice that... Yeah, well, it's like, that's probably in, what have we been doing this for about, what, 15, 16 months? And that's the first time that anybody's written an email in that's actually mentioned any of the rest of you, so it's... (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Simon. Yes. What was your very first ever Dalek experience? That's really, really difficult. I was saying to... um to Mark and Dan just before we start recording that I've got vague recollection of Day of the Daleks but I don't know why I don't think I physically could have experienced it unless it's one of those things and it was I do remember having a um, a Day of the Daleks puzzle but it didn't even have a Dalek in it it had Ogrons um, so it might have been Day of the Daleks I don't know I don't know um, was Day of the Daleks one of the ones that was repeated I think yes, it was, was wasn't it yeah it was mm. oh, so it probably have been maybe three the second time it was on. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Or, Other than that, it would have been Genesis, because I, I, when Destiny came on, I knew full well who Davros was, and I was very excited. So I definitely picked up on Genesis. Um, it might have been the movies on TV, because what I do remember is me and my sister going around department stores. And do you remember those old security cameras you used to get, where they're like, an under, like a, a black, shiny dome? Built mm, to the ceiling, mm, mm. and we used to call them Daleks. Yeah, and you knew full well yeah. what a Dalek was. <laughs> That's the weird thing, isn't it? That's kind of what I was getting to. Everybody knows what a Dalek is, whether they've actually seen Doctor Who or not, really, don't they? 
Yeah, Although iconic yeah. in a way, and I hate that word as well. But, but it's true, you can't get away from it. Yeah. Mm. Icon of design from Ray Cusack, and uh, you know, in the writing from Terry Nation, produced a very lasting, uh, nasty character. But it could so easily, it's one of those things where it could so easily have just been in the one story, and that would have been it. Especially because, and you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, if Dalek, you know, I think Dalek Invasion of Earth is far more important than the Daleks because anybody can have a good idea and then it stays as just a good idea. But it's when you repeat the idea, you set a precedent for, you know, being able to bring them back. I think it's also, so, there's a sort of amazing thing that happens, you know, the, the, the way that they sort of move, the way that they glide and they, they sort of don't have any um, recognisably human aspect to them. And I think that combined with, you know, that sort of voice is just such a sort of terrifying thing. And what were we saying on the podcast last week, actually? It was last week, wasn't it, when we mm. talked about the size of the Daleks? Mm. Those original Daleks. Yeah. They were so small, you mm. could almost imagine that there wasn't a person inside them. Mm. I was going to say, another thing that's interesting is, the more I think about it, I'm thinking about Dalek death ray lollies and things like that. <laughs> so, pre-Star Wars... It was only the other day I was talking to someone saying, yeah, of course, merchandising will start with Star Wars. And of course it didn't. No, of course not. When you think about how, and the Weetabix cards, we always talk about the Weetabix cards. I had those. Huge. I actually had the Weetabix. I used to make when I was a child. Yeah. I used to cut out all the bits and actually stage my own Doctor Who production on, oh, my, yeah. on my dinner table. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and that is emitting something now, isn't it? <laughs> Well, not really, because I've just spent a fortune on getting them back. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got the packets yet, though, but don't worry. That's next on my list. Uh-huh. Well, we've got a new sixth member just walked into the room. It is a Dalek in the shape of a dog. <laughs> but there's, there was obviously something sort of instantly sort of impacted, wasn't there, when, you know, obviously kids saw those things in the 60s. But for me, the most amazing thing is that they've endured, that, you know, they've sort of stayed with the series and they've kept sort of being reinvented with imaginative storylines and you know it's it's amazing that kids are now still sort of playing Daleks out in their playgrounds and you know it's just amazing do you remember I was going to say I think in one sense it was very brave of the production team to stick with the original what was pretty much the original design of the Daleks when they brought the series back whereas they could Mm. have gone off on some weird tangent and tried to make Mm. it more sort of 21st century or whatever. But I'll I tell you what's they... probably just as amazing is that they stuck with that same design throughout the original run. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. look at the Cybermen, almost every single time they come back, they've changed Definitely. something, mm. if not everything. I was going to say, I mean, the, the Daleks don't really change that much, do they? I mean, you not get, you know, I mean, there's the odd sort of... Dalek lights change quite often. Yeah, and yeah. you've got things like, you know, the Emperor Dalek, and you've got, you know, the Special Weapons Dalek, and, you know, Davros with his strange sort of wasp nest cover of dome thing you've uh, got those additions but actually sort of you know the fundamentals of the dalek design don't change so that design was obviously an incredibly enduring design wasn't it i mean if you look the first time they actually changed the dimensions of the daleks is 1988 Mm. so between 1963 and 1985 you know the design hasn't changed even a centimeter Mm. In fact, the only thing they ever did was in Dalek Invasion of Earth, they gave them the extra bump yeah. section at the bottom. Yeah, I think they had to, to remodel the wheels, didn't yeah. they, to, to make them work over rough, rough the, Yeah, because they were going to use them out in the streets. And yeah. then after that, 
back to normal and nothing changed. Mm. Astonishing. Yeah. Um, when Mark, <laughs> I've not asked you what your mm. did. You remember Genesis from the first time? Or I you do Destiny? have memories of that. I don't know if it was some. Was that repeated? Genesis. Yeah. Uh, no, no, um, yeah, no, um, not, not Genesis. Um, Douglas Adams one. Destiny. Destiny. Yeah. Mm, that's... Don't... I don't know. They repeated a couple of stories yeah, from that series. I, actually, I do have vague yeah. memories of that. I think they repeated them. I think they repeated Destiny and City of Death in between season seventeen and season eighteen. I mm, think. Yeah, I think the it's one quite I, possible. First one I probably yeah. remember clearly would have been. But that still would only have been a few months after. Yeah. Would have been uh, Resurrection. Oh, really? It's going on a bit. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What about you, David? Do you remember what your first Dalek story was? Unfortunately, I do. And now I am feeling <laughs> incredibly <laughs> old. Dalek now. invasion of Earth. <laughs> no, it wasn't that, unfortunately. But I do remember um, Power of the Daleks. Really? Wow. And wow. The, the scene that is often shown... If, of the Dalek going Pretty around, yeah, you know, yeah, three yeah. Daleks going around yeah. and on the conveyor. I remember that, and I remember Pretty Girl um, and the new Doctor, and that's my only memory of it up until later on when, um, although this isn't a Dalek story, um, the Space Pirates I remember because our nine-inch black-and-white bush television blew up. In the middle of Doctor Who. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> By all accounts, it probably saved you from a fate, what might not a fate be worse a than death. Good story. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you not forgetting. What a thing to say. <laughs> yeah, but I bet kids loved that story. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Also, of course, I remember the War Games, which has got a Dalek in it. Mm, yeah, yeah. Just. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to mention that because I do remember that quite well. And my first real memory would be Day of the Daleks. Daleks. So you remember the Pertwee Dalek story oh, yes, pretty well. I've, yes. So here's where I suppose I was going to, because, well, this is one of my little soapbox things, I suppose, is, you know, people on forums all the time are always saying they overuse the Daleks. You see too much of the Daleks. They shouldn't have the Daleks every year. And, you know, you you often see a lot of people saying, why don't they just get rid of the Daleks for good and all, get rid of them altogether? I'm like, no, because when I was a kid, my first Dalek story was Planet of the Daleks. And then the following year, when Death to the Daleks was on, I was so incredibly excited to be able to see them again. And for me, every single series of Doctor Who, and I've said this, I've written about this as well, every single series of Doctor Who is some five-year-old's first series of Doctor Who. Every five-year-old deserves their first Dalek story. Mm. So, uh, and this is another thing we've talked about, the fact that Planet of the Daleks is often reckoned to be a remake of the very first Dalek story. Mm. But just because it uses some of the same elements doesn't mean it's a remake. But my big point with that is, if you're seven or five or ten, whatever, when Planet of the Daleks is on, you're not going to have seen the first Dalek story anyway. So the fact that it uses some of the same elements is irrelevant to you. As far as you're concerned, at the age of seven, it's just a damned exciting Dalek story, right? But what we should... Uh, well, go on. I mean, what does anybody here think of the Pertwee Dalek stories? Because they're the ones that get the most stick. Well, I have Day of the Daleks. When I was young, I was really excited about. And then I suddenly realised that there's only three Daleks in it. But so did you actually was... recognise that when you were... Yeah, I remember it. Well, I actually had it because I 
was going through a stage that I was audio taping Doctor Who oh, really? live <laughs> off the television. Hardcore. So yeah, that's that's quite sad in a way, but because there was no replete, replete yeah, yeah, no. no video, no nothing. It's the only record you had. Um, you know, green. I had the Green Death and Day of the Daleks for years on audio cassette. Um, I thought the story. I liked the Ogrons actually in that. Yeah, yeah. I found them really more exciting than the Daleks. I and Aubrey Morris's performance was. Oh yeah, quite Aubrey in, Woods. Aubrey Woods. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yes, that's what I meant. Um, it was very interesting. It was, to me, as a child, it was a story about Daleks and Ogrons fighting each other. I mean, obviously now. You know, in hindsight, when you rewatch it, then obviously it's about a lot more. But I actually enjoyed that, and I actually liked Planet of the Daleks. I oh, thought I it was that. slightly overlong. Yeah, well, um, aren't all the Barry Lett stories but, a bit yeah. overlong? <laughs> but I actually thought that, you know, on rewatching it, they had a good use for, for studio space and multi camera. I actually thought the set was very, very good. Well, it's directed by. Um... Oh, my God, David Maloney. David Maloney, yeah. I always blanking on people's names. I'm awful. <laughs> David Maloney was one of the few directors of Doctor Who who actually looked at the studio space and worked out how best to use it. He's the guy who famously put ceilings on his sets because most of the other sets, of course, had to be shot from above down. down. But if you put a ceiling on the set, you can lower shoot your camera and yeah. shoot up. And so few Doctor Who stories from the 60s and 70s have got ceilings on, so you never see low angles. Well, it's kind of interesting because you mentioned, you know, we sort of talked about a little bit about Destiny of the Daleks earlier on. And I think that's a story that sort of quite often comes in for some really poor a lot um, of reviews. Yeah. But actually, if you look at the way it's shot, it's fantastic. Oh, and, yeah. You yeah. know, the Daleks are really, really impressive in that because they're shot low down. Low down, yeah. And like you were saying, Joe, you can see... You know the ceilings. That was Ken Grieve, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's just it's really dynamically shot. I think it it's is a really yeah. exciting story, and I yeah, think it's absolutely. much underrated myself. I saw, when I was I must have been eleven, I think, when that was on, mm. and I was just starting to get to that point where you're starting to work out that the sets are a bit hokey and the monsters <laughs> even more so. But Destiny of the Daleks, actually, that was probably the last story that still genuinely excited me on first viewing. When when the when the Dalek bursts through the set, yeah. that although I I quite agree with your point that the sets are a bit hokey, but it's still a great moment. It's a great moment, yeah. <clears throat> and it was. And it was a great cliffhanger. And actually, for all that Lala Ward's not really an actress, because let's be honest about it, she's not really an actress, but she sells that moment. Mm. I think she's fantastic in in that story. Actually, I, yeah, I really sort of like her performance. Um, it's it's funny, isn't it? There's so many of those really iconic. Um, there's, that, there's that word again. Um, yeah. There's a that sort of iconic um, Dalek arrival bits. You know, you got the the Dalek coming out of the Thames, haven't you? In especially Dark in Vision Terry Nation story. And then you've got it you know, <laughs> bursting through that glass wall in Destiny of the Daleks, and you've got it coming up through the well, sand through the in sand, the chase. Yeah. And you know, well, if you look at Dalek Invasion of Earth, it comes out of the water, yeah. and then. In the chase that comes out the of chases. the sand. Yeah. That's an iconic moment. <laughs> I'll tell you the bit that really... I tell you, when you go back and watch them retrospectively, the bit that really amuses me every time is the Dalek in the very first Dalek story that they're doing the experiment on. Ah, yeah. ah, <laughs> ah. I think the Dalek's going to come out of a cake on the 50th. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd like that. A bit like the Doctor did in... Uh, Vampires of Venice. Are going to do like a Marilyn Monroe? 
Happy birthday, Mr. President, kind of thing. Lord President. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it doesn't sing happy birthday, calls yeah. him Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Nicholas Briggs' interpretation <clears throat> oh, of yeah. happy that birthday, Mr. Yeah, President. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And of I course, can... in the chase, you've got the ultimate Dalek moment when the uh, Dalek falls off the ship and its head falls off. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's another, there's another oh, that's a Richard Martin. And we're always saying yeah. this as well. I'd rather watch something by Richard Martin than something dull. Oh, isn't Absolutely. somebody CGI the head back on then? No. Surely. The d- on the DVD. Somebody's got the time to do that. George Lucas. They, they changed it for the <laughs> DVD anyway, didn't they? they um, is that the shot that they darkened? There's another shot earlier on in the dunes where the Dalek falls over as well. Mm. And it was supposed that... to have been shot day for night and they forgot to put the nighttime filter on it. I don't know, it's still there, but they've darkened it, so you don't see it so much. See, do we think, think they should do things like that? Where, where, do they, where should they draw the line with restoration? Well, um, enemy of the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's not a Dalek story. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Power of the Daleks, then. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I... What, what are you aiming at? <laughs> I don't know. Should you fix the Sweet things God. that they... Well, no, that's no. not interesting. We could go off on a side topic. Should they? You don't think they should? No, I, I, I honestly don't think they should. I think the line... It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's a sort of moving goalpost a little bit. But I think that the, the, the aim with restoration is to make it look, you know, like it was originally mm. as best as possible. Mm. So, um, but I don't. I don't believe that things should be. a curiosity, aren't they? I mean, the we we've said before the sources in Dalek Invasion of Earth. For CGI oh no, 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 no! We're talking about just making slight repairs to things. Oh, I see. In the chase, there's a shot that was supposed to be essentially day for night. It was supposed to have turned the studio lights down so that it was I night. I didn't know about this. Okay, uh, it was supposed to be taking place at night, but they forgot to turn the studio lights down. Right. So they've actually shot it as if it's in daylight. And if you watch the chase and you and you haven't nodded off by this point, Ooh, you suddenly get... Harsh. <laughs> you suddenly get... One of my favourite stories, Joe. Yeah. But you suddenly get a scene in daylight that should be at night, right? right. So, But not anymore, because on the DVD, right. they've regraded oh, it so that it's darker, <clears throat> so that it's at night. And then in the web planet, there's the scene where the Zabi crashes into the camera, yeah. and there's a thunk. Yes. And they've basically taken the thunk and a bit of the oh. judder out. So you can still just about see that it crashes into the camera, but it's, can you? That's I can't the only remember. thing that makes the web planet entertaining. Yeah. I really like No, no, that. the Vaseline on the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that's Vaseline. No, okay. <laughs> that's one to me. <laughs> I don't really mind, to be honest. I'm not... No, I think they're worse crimes. You wouldn't have uh, Spearhead from Space, would you? But that's been manipulated and graded. They've all been... On the the new Blu-ray release, as it's just come out. Yeah, but that's that's a sort of separate format, isn't it? I mean, you've you've still got the DVD, which should be faithful to the original. I'll stop now. I'm a fan. I don't know. Okay, we should get back to the subject of Daleks. <laughs> Is there any point at which any of us was watching a Dalek story and thought the Daleks are actually boring? Because they're a pretty one-note villain, really, aren't they? I mean, can any of us remember thinking, Daleks, mm. I mean, these, these guys who say they should rest the Daleks or get rid of them altogether, is there any scenario in which these guys are right? 
I, I just think that I, I don't know quite how to answer that because I always find something entertaining in most Doctor Who stories, regardless of, you know, however poor or great they might be. But are there any Dalek there stories are... then which you think would be better if they didn't have the Daleks in? Well, I don't know about that. But what I was going to say is that I think the most interesting stories are the stories that try to do something about Daleks rather than the stories that include Daleks. I mean, you mentioned um, Day of the Daleks earlier. I mean, you, you could quite easily take the Daleks out of that and put a another being in it instead, you know, and it wouldn't make any difference to the story, as far as I'm aware. But, you know, there are stories that are just interesting because they're about Dalek-y things, like, you know, Revelation of the Daleks. It's sort of, you know, there isn't a huge Dalek presence in it, strangely, but it sort of reveals and sort of another level of madness that they've sort of stooped to in order to procreate themselves or davros has anyway yeah Yeah. so yeah i i think if if a story includes daleks it should to some degree be about daleks yeah but do we think they do that often enough because i don't know are there many examples of stories like that how am I just going to get blank stares now? I've gone into <laughs> yeah, the tricky well, questions. I was, I was going to say, I don't think you could ever get bored of the Daleks. Um, but you could get bored of a particular story that features them. I don't think it's the Daleks that are at fault when there is a... If there is technically a fault. I mean, I'm thinking about the new series. There are stories that I think were just silly. Um, you know, Evolution of the Daleks was just silly. Or, or badly formed, I thought. Um, but you know, I, think... I really liked that as a Dalek story, though. Did you? I mean, I think as a Dalek story, I think that's probably the one story that pushed them on the most. I don't know since forever. I can maybe think it's just the way it was made. It just didn't uh... since Genesis. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but you kind of you have this urge inside you that sort of says, "Yeah, but I wish they would do this with the Dalek." I think Asylum touched on mm. getting them back to being creepy. Yeah. Yes, and I enjoyed thing. that story. It's the same yeah. as the Cyberman. For me, it's the transformation thing. The thought that some, you could get turned into a Cyberman or a Dalek mm. is really quite nasty, I think, to have your free will taken away from you and be turned into one. Asylum of the Daleks is very little about the Daleks, though, isn't it? Apart from that twist at the end, of course. Well, I think that's that's enough to, you know... Mm, no, but my point is that could have been better if it had been about the Cybermen. Perhaps. I, I think, it would have made more sense. I think Ooh. really what you need from a Dalek story is something to further the mythos the mythos of the Daleks. Yeah. And I think Dan was quite right when he quite rightly pointed out that in the day of the Daleks, you could have just whisked them away and put in yeah. something else. Well, they weren't originally in the <clears> script. <throat> no. Mm. So they were an add-on. Yeah. I don't agree with the people who want to get rid of them altogether, but I think there is possibly a danger of having them back too many times and lessening their threat by the fact that they're... Well, the thing is, at the moment, we suspect there's this contract with the Terry Nation estate, don't we? Do we all know about this? No. Okay, you know they had that trouble negotiating for the Pip Daleks to appear in Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. Well, people suspect that the way the contract was negotiated was as far and I, I'm you know this is only what I've heard and I can't claim there's any truth in this so but the suspicion is that the Daleks have to appear on screen at least once every calendar year or else the terms of the contract has to be renegotiated mm. so if the Daleks take a year off then you're back to square one and you have to do another contract 
But if you, you know, as long as you have them on screen once a year, then it's, the contract just keeps going forwards. Hence that very brief appearance. In the waters of Mars. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And then they're presumably in appearance this year, unless you can count the very, very brief bit in the name of the Doctor. Yeah, there's that little bit in, um, is it Good Man Goes to War? That wasn't this year. No, I'm, I'm just saying it was another example of where they didn't appear the whole in that whole season. Oh, no, that was in the finale, the wedding of yes, the song. Yes, wedding yeah. of the song. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Seconds. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as long as you get them on screen. Well, this is what people suspect. So I mm. think we're in a, a place in time now where we will have the Daleks on screen at least once a year. Mm. And, you know, the alternative is if the contract has to be renegotiated and the BBC can't meet the terms, what would you rather have? The Daleks on screen with a story every other year and then a brief appearance in the years in between or lose them potentially altogether? I'd rather have a Dalek story that was a story. Well, yeah. <clears throat> rather than just saying, you know, if if what you say may be true or not, as the case Then you may work be, harder to make the story work. Then you make the story work. Mm. Because I find... Personally, with a lot of the new series, that the Russell T. Davis in particular, I expect. Are you putting words into my mouth, Jr.? <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm. I have a. I have an issue with all of it. Actually, all the new series. Um, it's not. It seems to me. I know life has moved on, and perhaps I'm looking through it in rose-tinted glasses. But there isn't a story. <laughs> it's. It's all action sequences. It's a, a bunch of set pieces rather than weaving a story. Well, I disagree, but I think your key word there was weaving. You don't have time to weave the story now. I think the story's there, but I think it's just told in a different way. I, I yeah. agree, and I think that the stories are told differently because they stem more from sort of human emotion and human experience than in the original series. You know, in the original series, you know, a plot was a plot. And it had people in it, but not necessarily emotionally involved in the story. They were there I've... to facilitate a plot. Whereas I think with the new series, it much it's much more grown from the experience of the characters on screen. And it is a different or, way of telling the story. Well, my theory was that Russell T. Davis based that first series, and to a certain extent the ones that followed, more on... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? These shows like... Um, Pop Idol and X yeah. Factor. Mm. Yeah, those shows where each week the companion has to overcome a certain obstacle yeah. in order to get to the final stroke, the finale. Mm. And say for Rose, she has to go through the episode where she saves a dad and then realizes yeah. she can't have a dad. And, you know, every episode she goes through, Rose takes a different step towards reaching the final. Mm. And that's what Russell T. Davis did. And the other thing is then, in the, in the, classic series you had these plots that ran for four or six episodes right and they were they might not have had more going on and when i say going on i don't mean in terms of how many different plot junctures there are mm. but when i say what is it about they yep. might not have had more going on but in order to stretch it across that number of episodes you had to mm. have more twists and turns to get there whereas these days i think you've got just as much plot and when I say as much, I don't mean in terms of volume. I mean in terms of import. 
but it's just the way that you get that across on screen is that you tend to go through the first half an hour of the episode, say, following the human characters before in the last 10 and 15 minutes, you suddenly get to how the story resolves. And I think these days as well, they... We kind of got off the topic here, haven't we? But nevertheless, <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's a case where, and this is particularly true of Stephen Moffat, and I've just written this as, about this as Simon will tell you. Mm. There's a case of it being a very single, a very simple single idea, like something out of a annual story or an old. Do you remember the old? 1940s 1950s mm. astounding stories yeah, sort of sci-fi yeah. where you'd have short stories that would be 10 15 pages long and they're all predicated on a single twist yeah and everything in the short story was leading to that twist and there was very little else there there was no chaff on those stories no. there's hardly any meat on the bones that's kind of how i think a lot of the new series stories work there'll be a twist at the end and the rest of it is you know if if you just told the story as it was in the short story or in the annual, it would be 10 minutes. So there's 10 minutes worth of story or 10 minutes worth of plot and then 35 minutes worth of character stuff. But as you say, you could probably boil down original series stories in the same way. You probably could. But there are more sort of cul-de-sacs and U-turns mm. and things going on to I keep your interest. People miss. Is the, the difference. Is guilty of that whole sort of, you've got the two bases. Oh, let's build this rocket. Yeah, yeah. It goes backwards go and forwards. Back yeah. yeah. For me, it's about characters. Yeah. And in the new series, I don't think, personally, there's too much character development. It's all shorthand. It's all shorthand, and that's what I find disappointing. So if somebody... Say we were watching a Dalek episode, uh, Parting of the Ways, Bad Wolf, or whatever. You don't get to know about the characters. So when you're watching the android scene... Okay, when somebody gets exterminated off or things, you don't give a monkeys monkeys about it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in some of the older stories, even in Remembrance, there is character development, and you actually care about. So if somebody dies, if it, yeah, it kind of has that effect on necessarily you. Necessarily true, because I I cared about Linda with a Y. I felt sad when she got killed. You know, maybe that there's less characters now in each story. Yeah, I think which... with her, it was like, you can't kill the dog. Don't kill the dog. Well, not that she was a dog. She was far from being a dog. She was very cute. <laughs> Don't. I think you're digging <laughs> an even <laughs> bigger oh, hole here. Don't kill. You can't, you can't kill the cute girl. That's what I mean. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like in the film, when there's a dog and it gets killed. Because you care more about the dog than you do the characters. Do you want to pass that microphone back to Mark? Okay. <laughs> I actually just think it's very interesting how Mark made the assertion that it's all kind of reality TV. Mm. And in fact, actually, that episode was... About, yeah. About yeah, reality exactly. television. Oh, yeah. Mm. Big Brother, yeah. I think that was quite deliberate. Mm. I think that actually helped to draw the wool over people's eyes because I think by making it that obvious, he made it less obvious because people don't then see it, do they? But also, like you were saying, it's it's a programme of big ideas, isn't it? I mean, the whole idea that the Daleks are lurking behind a television game show is just absolutely breathtaking in terms of a sort of, you know, mental leap. That's just an amazing idea, isn't it? And it's bonkers. I think during the 80s, they did end up becoming more sort of foot soldiers for da uh, Davros, and it, the focus seemed to be more on him 
than on the Daleks. Whereas if you look at something like Power, it was very much about particularly that one. Well, well Davros is easier to write for, though, isn't it? I mean, he, he's a character that you, you know the Doctor can yeah, have a conversation with, which I think is why he was probably introduced in Genesis. You yeah. know, I think but, what really happened in the eighties though goes way beyond that. In the 1970s, and okay, most of them were written by Terry Nation, but in the 1970s, what, in the 60s, the Dalek stories were science fiction versions of films like A Bridge Too Far and Where Eagles Dare. Mm. They're just war films. Mm. They're just behind enemy lines type war films, you know, on a mission type war films, like in Bridge Too Far and things like that. Yeah. And instead of having Nazis, you've got Daleks. And it literally is that simple. You look at Death to the Daleks and you take out the science fiction elements and replace those with, you know, French resistance elements and things like that. And basically, that's all you've got. Mm. And, of course, war films were in vogue in the 60s and 70s. And then Bridge Too Far in 1977 was probably the last big gasp of that kind of type of film. Mm. And then, of course, things change in the 80s and another kind of film comes into vogue and it's sort of post-Dirty Harry and building up to things like the diehards. And on the other hand, you've got the kind of... Well, there's kind of a sort of... In the 1980s, things kind of turned a bit nastier, didn't they? Horror films suddenly became about the... the S-word, aren't you? I wasn't, actually. But horror (laughs) films became... Do you want me to? Time to bleep it out later. But horror films became less <laughs> about less about the scares and more about more the body shock. Yeah, and you see that reflected, don't you, in Resurrection of the Daleks? Yeah. You know, where suddenly they're using, you know, um, germ warfare basically, um, and you've got some pretty horrible scenes of disfigurement and nastiness going on there. <laughs> That's not a nice thing to say about Rula Lenska, though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I know Simon's being Lee. Oh, I like Rula Lenska. Yeah. I wasn't no Chloe Ashcroft then. <laughs> no, it's the um <laughs> the guy with the rice crispies on his face. Simon can't remember that <laughs> bit. Yes, I can. Okay, <laughs> like look like a thunderbird. <laughs> yeah, it interesting like more story though, and I actually like Remembrance, I, and I actually like uh, no Resurrection. Resurrection, Resurrection, like Resurrection yeah. Too many Dalek stories with R's in them, I'm mm. afraid. But I think you're right, and go back to sort of what you're saying. I mean, I think it's been said before that Doctor Who is at its best when it's got its roots showing. And Doctor Even... Who, Doctor Who has always been ostensibly, it's always been a sort of plagiaristic program. It always has been, it always mm. will be. It, you know, pulls in, it's sort of like a magpie thing. It pulls in ideas from everywhere, doesn't it? It's and like those... an anthology show. Yeah, it that is. sort of borrows from all other shows and yeah. says, right, this is what we can do with your show in our format. Mm. I mean, the original Dalek story is a complete rip-off of Time Machine and, yes. you know, War of the Worlds and everything else. Um, and, the, you know, like you said, you know, the, the Daleks are the, the ultimate Nazis. You, you know, you can see it as a as a. And by the time you well. get to, By the time you get to Barry Letts, he's doing Quatermass every other week. Yeah. And then you've got the Terry Nation script. And even Day of the Daleks, which, of course, is Louis Marx, mm. which has the time travel element. Mm. And also, but the gorillas in that, I mean, much has been made of the fact that that story is perhaps based on, you know, what was going on in the Middle East at the time. Yeah. Mm. But by the same token, that's also very similar to the kind of stories that were being told about the French resistance in these war films. Mm. So it's not like it's coming from a completely different... It might be displacing the sort of war element, but it's still coming from the same... Still coming from the same kind of place. Yeah, I agree. You've got other stories um, that 
draw on the ecological concerns of the time. Mm. So, and yes, uh, when you actually look at the Ogrons, you could say they were part of Idi Amin's guerrilla warfare It's like they're alternating between three different types of stories, really, Mm. when Mm. Baradet is in charge, isn't it? But I suppose, you know, writers are always, especially given a subject like science fiction, I guess you're you're always going to draw on ideas that you're interested in at the time because you need to sort of place something on it that is tangible to yourself as a writer and to an audience well that's there's nothing weirder than science fiction that doesn't reference anything because it is just meaningless what's the point yeah so with science fiction you take something you know that you can relate to Mm. you take something you don't know that nobody can relate to you find a middle ground in between and use that as a metaphor for something you'd like to say unless you're neil gaiman (laughs) 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 i think you didn't like nightmare and silver then what about? Uh, I don't think many people did. I didn't like the doctor's it, wife either. I'm afraid it's got a life to it that's going on and on. Anyway, changing subject. Can I just say? Um, I was just thinking about Destiny of the Daleks. You know the scene where the doctor literally climbs up into that little uh, there's that little hole, isn't he? And the Dalek can't reach him, and it's literally like yeah. the whole thing of the Dalek not being able to follow you up the stairs. They've taken that away from the Daleks now, and I remember thinking that was petrifying, incredibly exciting when I watched that. Actually, it's more scary that they can't follow you up the stairs because yeah. you're wondering what they're going to do instead. Yes. And then when it's they true. can follow you up the stairs, it's just like, well, so can anybody else. So what makes them so different now? But I guess it was the sort of elephant in the room, wasn't it? Yeah. They had to tackle it. They had a physicality so... about them where, you know, certainly as a kid, I mean, I know my oldest daughter cannot be in the same room as a Dalek. It's the the, the pure presence of them mm. that... Um, <laughs> There's oh, loads yeah, of Daleks yeah, yeah, in this room. But a big the one that makes top of a shelf. loud noises. I tell you, the weird thing about that scene is <laughs> he may have been saying to the Dalek, "You can't follow me up here because you can't climb stairs." But actually, what was even more important was that the size of the hole he was in was too small for the Dalek to get in anyway. <laughs> yeah. So even if it could have elevated, it wouldn't have been able to follow him anyway. <laughs> no, no. I love. I actually have a real soft spot for Destiny of the Daleks. Yeah, for for many reasons, and it's, uh, one of the, the that lovely scene um, where Tom Baker meets Davros, and that immortal line comes out. Go on, spack off! Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know I once I once met um, that's the telephone ringing. <laughs> oh, oh, hello. <laughs> Should we get that? No, 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 no. it'll go off by itself. You once met. I once met Tom at a signing in a book shop, and um, it's quite funny. I uh, I was buying his um, autobiography or biography. I can't remember if he wrote it or not. No, he wrote it. Yeah, yeah autobiography, and um, queued up to get his uh, queued up. The, yeah, it's fantastic. Queued up to get his autograph, and uh, and he said, "Oh, you know, would you like me to sign it to you?" And I said, "Yeah." And I said, "Um, could you could you just write spack off on it for me, please?" <laughs> and uh, he said, "What?" <laughs> I said, well, would you mind writing spack off spack off what is spack off he was saying it's really yeah, funny he wouldn't have known said, would he i said well you know you once said it in a in a in a dalek story that was a little bit dull i thought it was dull at the time i've since since come to my senses but um and said you know oh, i was you know it's one of the most entertaining things you've ever done he, he couldn't remember it no of course and he doesn't know what fans talk about no, we all know about it mad. because we've heard it repeated so many times <laughs> he's never seen that story since he was in it no absolutely 
So as far as he's concerned, he just said, back off. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. Do you know, Destiny of the Daleks is so... One of the best things about it is that it is so beautifully evocative of being a child. Because all the elements are just kind of things that fire your imagination as a child. And it might look pretty dull by comparison as an adult, because there's less stuff in there to sort of, mm. you know, evoke things for adults. Although it's not entirely without merit, even for adults. There's the interesting stuff about the deadlock in the war and that. Yeah. But there's stuff about putting Romana in that sort of, <laughs> you know, that plastic sort of tube. plastic tube, the uh, see-through Smarties <laughs> packet. The Movellan bomb. And then there's, yeah. there's the, the disco robot Movellans. Yeah. I, I love them. It. That was the I only thing them. I didn't like, actually. Oh, I love I, them. There, I yeah. like their outfits. The... I love their dreadlocks. The, I like um, Danielle, what's her face? Floella Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, I like Danielle Floella Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the great, beads in the hair, that was what it was. The great idea about that story, <laughs> <laughs> being dull for a moment, is that it, it sort of shows how, you know, the, the Daleks have been completely trapped by science, you know, through their own sort of megalomania and madness, you know, that science has become a trap for them. Whereas, actually, for the Doctor, it's a liberating thing, isn't it? It's, right, it's, it's, what, Adams, isn't it's it? what enables him to, to escape from the, the boredom and you know, stifling atmosphere of his own planet and go off into the universe. So, you know, it's, you it kind of shows science in yeah. two different extremes, really. Well, you wonder it? if Douglas Adams gave Terry Nation that part of the story. Mind you, Terry Nation didn't write Destiny of the Daleks anyway, did he? No. He just wrote something like 10 pages for each four episodes <laughs> and said to Douglas, fill in the rest of the blanks yourself. Mm. Apparently, according to I'm sure you know, legend, probably true. As a, yeah. young t- as a young teenager, I actually thought, because as I say, I've already admitted I've got a soft spot for the story. But when I rem- when I was remembering back, I didn't realise, of course, that the Movellans were robots yeah. or androids, and the clues are there. When I've obviously rewatched it recently, you can you can see that they are. But as a young person, I didn't, and so the reveal at the end was kind of. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Same for me when I was a kid. Mm. You know, you're watching it and you're... Yeah, because you keep seeing the things where the um, little power pack Packs, comes out. That's it. Mm. And, you know, remembering back to having read Doctor Who in an exciting adventure with the Daleks, <laughs> are you wondering if that's a pack of drugs that they've got to take <laughs> to, you know, sort of ward off the radiation on Scarrow? Because that is where they are. Mm. I mean, you know, repeats of the same idea. So even when an idea is repeated and changed, you still think back to the original idea because yeah. it's essentially the same thing, isn't it? Absolutely. If they don't keep these stuff handy they're not going to survive do you know i i think that was a really successful story destiny at at its time i think it held people's attention because i know that i obviously i watched it but my sister did as well and she wasn't big on doctor who but i remember watching all of destiny and then it leading into city of death wasn't it and i remember us carrying on watching that so that that was a pretty good run of also, drama that was holding the attention of children, I think. Well, it was holding everybody's attention on account of the fact that ITV wasn't on at the time. <laughs> <laughs> ITV <laughs> went off for two months. Short. I think yeah. you're selling it short. Because you know? <laughs> I think a lot of people will remember um, you saying about iconic iconic imagery of Davros returning, of the Movellans. Mm. And, and the go- Davros return was yeah. huge And then shock. going into yeah, City of definitely. Death and the whole reveal of the Jaggeroth, Scaroth. Yeah. Mm. That's a big thing. People and then they do the well. same thing again, of course, in Resurrection. You know, that, that amazing reveal of Davros in the chamber and the smoke just sort of parting and him gliding out. And 
oh wow and the fact that it's a new sort of exciting <clears throat> davros as well is even... mm, yeah but love i kind of i think i was a bit too jaded by that point <laughs> really <laughs> it's like this dalek story it's by this point it's like if it's a dalek story davros will be there well, you're right, but... Because that was the big surprise in Destiny. Because yeah, Davros the... had never been in it before. You yeah, weren't expecting yeah. him to be in it again. And it's a bit of a retread of Destiny, isn't it? So the Daleks mm. are trying to get to Davros to, you know... They're trying to still out. sort but... out the war with the Movellans. You don't even get the Movellans coming back. No, that's Where's quite true. Daniel Watts-Face? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you not think that the scene between the Doctor and Davros was particularly good? Because I found that quite... In Resurrection? Yes. Well, you see, I'm not a fan of that at all. I and think Terry Malloy is very good as Davros. I think he... no, I can't. Really, I yeah. much prefer David Goodison. Well, the thing is, do you really? Yeah, I do. I think he's. I think the only thing, mm. if you compare them, Terry like... Malloy. Yeah, well, if you, you look, do? certainly if you look at something like um, Revelation, when you see the, the the speeches, I know he goes off and rants occasionally, but when you see the dialogue between him and the Doctor, I think he's mm. has taken a slightly more soft spoken approach, and I think. It makes him a more interesting character, whereas, I mean, don't get me wrong, Genesis is stunning, but, you know, if you had him just ranting constantly for every single episode that he was in, he'd just get But really he never dull. does, though, does he? Yeah, he does. Well... I mean, his quiet stuff in Revelation is really sinister, and mm. I, no, I love those that's what I mean, you'd never get an episode it. where he's just ranting from start to finish. Oh, All I the Davroses do quiet, my, uh, my but, cheating, but with Terry mm. Malloy, it's like quiet and loud and nowhere in between. Whereas Wisher and Goodison would build. I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I, I, I think Malloy has a fantastic range mm. when he's playing that character personally. And I, you know, I just, I guess also is that I, I remember sort of watching him as Davros as a kid mm. before yeah. I saw, you know, the other the guys. Other two, so yeah. I guess it's one of those things, isn't it? You sort of, you like your first. I was at the wrong age for <clears throat> resurrection. And that's probably all there is to You're it. Just an old git. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you hit an age where it just doesn't. I think I'm older than JR. So what does <laughs> yeah. that make? <laughs> yeah, but I think git. you hit an age where it doesn't work anymore, or different things work. When you're in puberty, different things work at different times, don't they? And then. But you know what I'm saying. In terms of what the stories are doing and what the stories are saying. Different things will appeal to you at different times during... Because that's the period in your life when you're doing the most changing yourself. Yes. So you're looking for different things. Throughout that whole period, you're looking for different things. And I think Resurrection just hit at the time when I didn't want that. And so, for example, by the time I was 20 and the Happiness Patrol was on, mm. which I would have absolutely hated three years earlier, but then now is like my favourite story of the entire decade. Yeah, I well, I think I think that's a cracking story. Actually, that's what, I love that. Story. David's just fainted. Absolute picture. I can remember. I don't know what age I would have been at the time. Probably thirteen, fourteen. Um, I found the McCoy stories, certainly the early ones, quite embarrassing to watch. In fact, I wouldn't sit in the living room with the rest of the family and watch it. I'd go off and watch it in one of the other rooms. Just found it really. I felt I still wanted to watch the program, but it was just not, not doing mm. for me. Yeah, but I think by the time you get to the Happiness Patrol, that's a little bit later, isn't it? You sort of, yeah. I mean, he, I, he, you know, he's no, he's no fantastic actor, I'm afraid. But you know, he, 
by that point, he he has sort of hit his stride. I think. I think season twenty six is a great season. Though. I really I like say. McCoy now, um, yeah. but I think that that early stage of his Doctor it just. And also, I, I think what we need that. to remember is that I don't think a lot of time was spent with the actors on that show. You know, mm. there, there was so much time spent with special effects and everything else that. You know, they just didn't often get a lot of direction. A lot of the directors were far more... As trouble with the multi-camera setup as well. You either get... Well, there's basically four kinds of directors. Those who spend a lot of time with the effects and the lighting and things like that. Those who spend a lot of time on the camera setup and just making sure the cameras are in the right place at the right time. And those who spend a lot of time with the actors. And then, of course, you'll get somebody who's good at all the different elements. Like, I think, Fiona Cummings was good with all the different elements and I think her stories are really nicely directed in terms of the special effects and the cameras and the actors Mm. but so many of the directors in TV especially Doctor Who which couldn't afford better directors couldn't get better directors Mm. so a lot of the classic stories and this is Becomes very apparent in the 1980s. Yeah, it does. Although it, it was true throughout the whole thing. Cause I even... think the way the BBC works as well, <clears throat> I don't know if it's the same, probably not now, but back then you'd have a, a system where you'd have to have certain directors put into Doctor Who. And if you're Philip Hinchcliffe, you, he actually managed to ask for most of his directors, so he got the mm. people he wanted, mm. and that's probably the one reason above all others mm. because actually if you look at the stories the mm. stories are pretty thin mm. during... you get people coming in who didn't really understand how the show worked and it and philip hinchcliffe managed to stick with maloney mm. and you know camfield did those two yeah. mm. and pennant roberts actually did some of his best work around that period definitely yeah so yeah <clears throat> but in the 1980s it becomes painfully obvious that some of these people don't know what they're doing <laughs> Well, I know, you're not a of Graham, I know you're not a big fan of Graham Harper. I think he's really good. I really like his direction. <clears throat> I think he did a good job of Caves. Mm. I don't think he did such a great job of Revelation. I don't know. Did I don't know. know. He's. I think he's. Well, he is a very sort of dynamic director, and you know, he is very dynamic on the on the floor. So well, I, mean, I think that does come across. But I mean, he but, said himself. On the first studio day on Caves, he was doing all the single shot stuff. Mm. And then he was so far behind that on the other two studio days, he just had to go back and do it multi-camera like everybody else does. Yeah. And the thing is, because he filmed enough on that first day that there's enough peppered throughout the story that mm. you think it's dynamic throughout the story. But, but that's actually one day's filming. I think what you get with Graham Harper that you don't get with a lot of the other directors that worked on, certainly on the original show, is that he sort of invents as he goes along, and that necessarily takes up more time. Whereas I think a lot of other directors are just... And this isn't to sort of deride what they do, because, you know, Doctor Who had to be made in such sort of, you know, constrained circumstances. But I think a lot of other directors had to just get the number of shots in and get the thing done. And I think he was just coming from it from a completely left field. But there's so much less of that in Revelation. So much... Less of that kind of thing in Revelation. Yeah, well, I just think it's it just sort of flat by comparison. Really, I think the story is actually excellent, but the re- the realization that the over the overlit sets, including the stuff underneath the mm. cryogenic, yeah, yeah, area, <clears throat> it's just, it's too lit, and I think it's not all lit like that, though, is it? No, the, the stuff in elements. the cellars are quite sort of dark and scary. Mm. I think. But it, it it suffers from the fact that 
I actually disagree. Actually, I think it is overlit, even downstairs. There are some areas like where they go in and see the glass starlet, which it and, and all that red watery stuff, which is absolutely perfect. But when the stuff go- in Davros's chamber just looks like it was filmed on the Blue Peter set. Yeah, mm. no, I agree. I tell you what, he really fudges the shot with the flying Dalek. They had to redo that for the DVD just because you couldn't see what the hell was going on. Yeah. Mm. There's a strange sort of <clears throat> leaking through, isn't there? They don't quite get yeah, the some kind of right weird effect, right and you can't or... really work out what he yeah. was going I think you're right. I, think it's oh, I thought you were on about leakage from Tranquil Repose. <laughs> <laughs> Are we pinging again on that one? <laughs> no, there's nothing <laughs> odd about that. I don't think there's anything wrong with the story of Revelation of the Daleks, but I don't think it makes for good Doctor Who. But that's for another time. <laughs> <laughs> We should get back to... i tell you what, we've not done any more on the spots. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, drum roll, please. Well, we've talked about a lot of things, but I guess we've not talked about... Mark, Dalek Invasion of Earth, 60 seconds, starting from now. Oh, blimey, Charlie. Well, so I'm going to use that word again, iconic. <laughs> uh, one of the most incredible appearances of the Daleks. You see the Dalek coming up from the Thames as you come into that cliffhanger, and that was a pretty lasting memory once you've seen it. Um, I quite enjoyed the movie on one level compared to the TV show, but I I think if I had to choose between them, I think I prefer the the TV version, even if it is slightly longer. Um, (laughs) Distinct lack of sugar puffs in the TV version, which is a shame. Um... Go on, list some of the kids. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I suppose you've got ro- Robo Men, which are kind of an early sort of take on Ogrons and that sort of um, henchmen for the henchmen, Daleks. Henchmen, yeah, they can kind of go places where Daleks can't. Yeah. Okay, right. that'll do. David's looking scared. Yeah. I love the artwork on the Target novel. I'm I love the book. You. Pardon? Sorry, Dark did in- I say something? Sorry, Dalek Invasion. I loved the Target novel. Yeah, I said I'm not asking you. <laughs> 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 so there. So David, take the microphone and give me 60 seconds on Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh, now, now I like Remembrance of the Daleks. Some interesting themes in this. Um, very good acting from, is it Dinders? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten his name now. Um, interesting thing um, on racism um, with the black cafe owner. Uh, no coloreds. Yeah. Um, in in um, his and an interesting house. juxtaposition between Ace's perspective on it and the contemporary character's perspective. Yes, I I totally agree. The only bit of the thing I didn't like is when. Um, when the BBC One announcer came on to announce it's the new series of... Stop! Did you not like that? No, I didn't. I thought that was a bit up its... Uh... I like that. A bit up its own <laughs> metaphorical ass. Well, up its own TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the story <laughs> was brilliant. Who have we not done? Oh, Simon! We've not done Simon. Yeah, go pick one I haven't seen. Okay, Simon. I'm going to give you 60 seconds... On Evil of the... I'll give you 60 seconds on Daleks in Manhattan. Oh, 
you really want to do evil. 60 seconds on evil? Okay, I do evil. 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 Um, I mean, obviously, I've only seen, um, seen, I've only seen the audio. I've only heard the audio, <laughs> and I really, really liked it. Really liked it. Um, I think it works really well as audio. Um, and if we ever get to see the story as to whether it will match up to how the audio works in my head. I've heard March 2015 for that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost an exclusive, but not quite. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, there's there's a lot of bits in it. I mean, it, the first couple of episodes seem to work really well, and it flows really well. And I like the idea of them um, messing around with history, um, and I like the way it all works with Victoria. Victoria's introduction. Um, well, oh, there you go. Razor. You chose this story over Daleks in Manhattan. And well, you I managed don't like to get Daleks to... in Manhattan. I mean, I could have. You rant... don't have to talk about something you like. I know. I would have just ranted about Daleks in Manhattan. Well, you could have done that. Anyway, there you go. Okay, does somebody want to pick a random story for me? Um, the chase. Oh God, the chase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, when I was growing up, the chase was like because you'd not seen it, and because you probably also. Figured out for yourself that it would have been the third Dalek movie if there'd been a third Dalek movie. Mm. There's something mythical about the chase. You knew it was by the same writer as the first two Dalek stories, and they were out as books, whereas the chase wasn't out as a book. And you knew how good those books were, and you just thought, okay, so the Doctor's defeated the Daleks twice, and then they come to get him. Mm. And you just think the chase must be the most. <laughs> exciting Doctor <laughs> Who adventure ever. This planet-hopping, time-hopping adventure with the Daleks chasing the Doctor throughout the entire universe, everywhere and every when. How could it not be utterly, utterly brilliant? And then, yeah, my first experience of the chase was when they released it on VHS and I found out it was the chase. <laughs> and that's my 60 seconds. Uh... No, I, 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 well, I, as I said earlier, I, I think probably like all of us, there's something, I think there's something to be found of value in every, you know, episode of Doctor Who. That's why we love the program. Um, the chase is the chase, you're right. But I mean, it's part of that sort of Dennis Spooner era where they were just trying to, you know, lighten the mood try a bit and try a bit of comedy. Well. And, you know, they did it later on and it worked very, very well. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think Actually, it's a fun romp, isn't it? I think for as bad as the chase might be, you stick the chase on when you're in a room with a bunch of people watching it all together, <laughs> and they will have far more fun watching that than they will the Caves of Androzani. We did that. Mark and I with a... About four other friends, half a dozen of us. I actually agree with you, because I don't like the Caves of Androzani. Oh, well. I'm one of the very few that really, really just doesn't like it at all. Oh, that's interesting. You come back and we'll talk yeah, about. Found a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't dislike Caves of Androzani. I just think it's vastly overrated. Yes, that's yeah. Mm. I, I would agree with you. I think it's brilliantly directed and brilliantly performed. It's got no Daleks um, in it though. It's got no Daleks in it. And speaking of Daleks, there are five <laughs> of us here. Let's each nominate our favourite Dalek story. Mark. <gasps> oh, power. I think. You've never even seen it. I've listened to it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I like the plot. I think it's interesting. Patrick Troughton's a great doctor. The Daleks are scheming rather than just being foot soldiers. Right, I think the rest of us should take a vote. Did he just say that to be cool? 
Or does he actually like power more than things like Genesis and all the others? Um, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Sort of. <laughs> Simon, favourite Dalek story? Tricky. No, Tricky. that's a singer from Bristol. Rapper. Okay. Oh, does sing, Is rapping not a form of singing? Yeah, no, he does sing a little bit, doesn't he? <laughs> um, do you know what? I'd almost go with Destiny after how we've been talking about it because I've got very fond memories, but I think I'll go Dalek Invasion of the Earth purely because of experience of the Target novel and I loved it just as much when I finally watched it and I also loved the film as well and I just think it's a well-rounded story. It's a bit madcap with the idea of them turning the Earth into a dirty great big spaceship. And I love the Robo-Men as well, as as Mark was saying, the first of the henchmen. And I like the fact that there's always these henchmen like them, the Ogrons, the pig guards, even though they're a bit silly. And, you know, and so forth. So, yes, that's my favourite. David, favourite Dalek story? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to agree with Lee. Simon. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know why I said changed. Lee, don't you? <laughs> no, it's because he's got a microphone saying Lee on it, and I totally just <laughs> forgot for a second. My favourite story, I agree with him, um, except for I like the black and white television version, mm. specifically for the lovely scene mm. at the end. Um, there oh, are lots of... Pl- yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've not mentioned that yet. No. Strangely. And I love that scene yeah. where Susan's outside... Doctor's inside, and he comes out with this lovely speech, which obviously they reuse in the Five Doctors. Yeah. Um, there are lots of faults with it, you know. I mean, why would Susan suddenly fall in love with somebody she met five minutes ago? But yeah. hey, never oh, but I love the way he looks her out of the TARDIS. Yes. I love that. I actually, well, I actually think they dealt with that better than any of the other falls in love and goes off storyline. The scene where they're cooking fish in episode five, and you know that's a whole because it's another euphemism. but that's the thing about um weekly television when you watch it in a kind of omnibus format or all the episodes on one day you forget but actually these writers used to write if you write a scene in episode five to seed something in episode six even if it only takes 20 minutes earlier takes place 20 minutes earlier in screen time in the minds of the audience who've gone away for a week and come back a week later they've had time for that idea to bed in for 167 and a half hours. So the scene in episode 5... <clears throat> I didn't work it out, I knew. <clears throat> so the scene in episode... <laughs> you can call me Lee if you like, I don't mind. <laughs> it's easier. We'll all call ourselves Lee. 168 hours in a week. It's one of those things you... Are, it? It's like seven days in a week, right? You oh, know, know the seven that. days? Yeah. So, okay, so I knew the 168 hours. But what I mean is, the scene where they cook fish in episode 5 has had... <laughs> 167 and a half hours to bed in before the end of episode six. So it doesn't come as a shock to an audience in 1965, right? Um, Dan, favourite Dalek story? Um, I agree with Gavin. Oh, no, it's not Gavin. (laughs) (laughs) Whilst we're getting everyone's name wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's a keeper. (laughs) (laughs) I've been calling a lot worse. Where's Stacey? Um, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Power of the Daleks as well. Um, And I know, yeah. I mean, I've only seen it in telesnap form with the soundtrack, obviously, um, and the odd bits that survive. Um, But for me, it's 
it's the first time it's the first time that you get a really sort of bizarre mad outlandish dalek story you know the very idea that they're sort of going around you know i mean mark gatiss uses it again doesn't he in in victory you know he's they're sort of just going i want to be your servant you know and it's just sort of really creepy and mm. and unsettling and strange and going back to the sort of the nazi metaphor that we were talking about before it's almost like a sort of hitler youth thing you know it's mm. almost sort of turning you know people looking to be sort of childlike and innocent but actually you know they're going to there's also a hint of, get you. is it went the day well mm. where the village has been infiltrated by Nazis mm. and they don't yeah. know it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a hint of that as well, I guess. It's sort of that that whole thing of something really not being what it looks to be on the outside. And because I suppose they look and sound so evil, the contrast for me is just amazing. So, yeah, I love that. And I love the sort of Quatermass in the Pit scene as well with the cobwebby Daleks inside the capsule. It's brilliant. Oh. I think he sold it. Yeah, yeah. Well, bit of a big question. Well, so this is just... interesting because you've two of you said power and two mm. of you said Dalek invasion of Earth, haven't you? Mm. And the funny you know thing is, yeah. do you? What do you want to say it to the microphone? Planet of the Daleks. No. Well, you've always said that's your favourite. I've always said it's my first. Go on then. Well, I was just when I was that sentence that I was halfway through was going to end up with me saying. Because you've said the story that I was going to say. So am I going to come down on the side of power or Dalek invasion of Earth? <laughs> That's the big question, isn't it? Dun, dun, dun. Actually, you should already know. Dalek invasion of Earth. Because otherwise, why would he have told off Mark for True. picking power? Yeah. Because I love a good post-apocalypse story. Yeah. Absolutely adore a post-apocalypse story. And, you know, Web of Fear has got elements of that. And Invasion of the Dinosaurs has got elements of that, but mm. Dalek Invasion of Earth is that. And so, you know, that's one of my all-time favourite stories. Mm. And so is Survivors. Oh, my second favourite series. <laughs> oh, God, people with their microphones. Should we do a couple more emails and then... Can I just... just it's a very no, big you question. Can't, but no, thanks for... please, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me ask Dan. Let me ask Dan. Seeing as special guest and David. Um... They're not special guests, they're just guests. Are they? Okay. Yeah, there's nothing special, special. about them. <laughs> David's looking at me with a very special expression on his face. Is there anything that you would do with the Daleks that they haven't done already? <laughs> I think there actually is a very special There isn't a ping loud enough or long enough for a question like that. Ah, oh, that is a good question, isn't it? I forgot, you know what? I forgot what the question yeah. is now. <laughs> but I think they were getting there in Daleks in Manhattan. I think for whatever the other faults of that story, it's one of the few Dalek stories that really, really addresses hmm. what it is to be a Dalek and how far you can push a Dalek before it's not a Dalek anymore. And what would the Daleks do if they really were just the four of them left? In Dalek for example, with Christopher Eccleston, you've got the very last Dalek. And once it becomes apparent that it's the very last Dalek, it kind of gives up the ghost. But in Daleks in Manhattan, you have only four Daleks left in the universe, but they've been bred to think. And so here they are, 
thinking about how they're going to propagate the species. Mm. Never seen Daleks do that before, not mm. in that kind of a way. Have yeah. you ever met a female Dalek? Um, only recently, Asylum of the Daleks, but not before that. Mm. That's what probably Clara's for, actually, thinking about it well, now. I was just thinking the Clara thing I thought was more interesting. It's got nothing to do with Daleks, though, has it? I think it has, in a big no. way. I think the very fact that she's in an asylum and has been stuck in a room on her own, because they fear her. They fear the fact that she's been turned into a Dalek and yet is still thinking she's human. and therefore That's what I mean. She's been turned into a Dalek. What's that got to do with Daleks? That's just silly. Because they... That's why it should have been a Cyberman story. <sighs> I don't agree. I don't agree. Oh, send them to I a don't know, because it's sort of a... <laughs> in a way, it's a bit of a retread of Revelation, isn't it? Where you've got them... It's... Yeah. Using human bodies and making them into It's an interesting idea. It does so much with them, but isn't it? Though, doesn't, but it doesn't, yeah. It's one of those ones. It's, it, 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 for it's, me, it's I mean, interesting ideas, but it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with the rest of the Dalek mythology. I'd like to see the sort of, I'd like maybe to re-examine the sort of Scaro story. I think that for me would be interesting. And you've got, you know, the old story of the sort of the, the, the renegade and the Imperial Dalek factions and all that stuff. Like, I'd quite like to see that sort of told in would the, be, the new series. It would be interesting. Well, what would be interesting, because we saw vague sort of brief glimpses of this, is to actually properly examine the sort of Third Reich of Scaro, the new Scaro, yeah. risen from the ashes that it was in Destiny and at the end of Genesis, because now apparently we've got Scaro back and, you know, in full power. Mm. What we really need is a story set entirely there where we can actually investigate this I, and see I what agree. actually happens. No, I mean, that's a very good idea. And I think the other thing we need is a story that consigns the new Dalek paradigm to, you know, mm. the destruction because there's nothing that, worse it, than those oh, Daleks. Oh, dinky Daleks. Really. I think the just... fact they had them there is kind of the, whatever they were. Did anybody else have a problem with that? When the new Dalek paradigm comes along and says, right, we're made from synthetic DNA, so we're real Daleks, but you Daleks that are made from Davros's DNA aren't. What? Mm. What was that all about? I don't know. I had more <laughs> of a problem with the design of them more than anything. I think well, they yeah. look ridiculous. I, I think they should I be exterminated. I don't personally have a problem with the, the sort of bright colours. I mean, I think the colours are I'm great. I'm a huge fan of the Cushing films anyway. Yeah, exactly. But I just think the shape of them is just entirely wrong. And they're too big. They just look ridiculous. Well, I hold that so, down to the producer. They look, and unlike the other Daleks, <laughs> who look like they didn't even have barely enough room for one man inside, these Daleks look like they've got two, room for two, <laughs> yeah. Well, who, who, and who that hump at the back. <laughs> JR, who signed off the look of those Daleks? Didn't, would you not say it was the producer? Are you turning this into a Moffat versus anti Moffat? episode? <laughs> would I do so? I think no more Heaven should been. be said. <laughs> I, I, I didn't hate them, but I think it's a little bit naive to think that you can replace. And I think that was the idea, wasn't it, to replace the look of the Dalek in that way? I think Stephen Moffat made a lot of serious errors in Series 5. He was definitely trying to make his mark on the series, and he just went overboard on it, to be honest. And I think he reined himself in on Series 6, and he's been a vast improvement ever since. Would that do you? Know, give, that, that would do. I would largely agree with that. No, I would largely agree with that. Mm. Give him credit; he's eaten humble pie on that, hasn't he? Mm, a bit, yeah. But then I'm the only person 
on the planet who actually thinks Series 6 is a really good series. I really <laughs> liked it. Um, boom, boom. Oh, we've got... Do you want to... Okay, here comes Mark. Here's a message from Colleen Hawkins. Yeah, should we, just before we go into this, should we mention your uh, your personal appearance at uh, a certain event in Devon? Oh, well, I, 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 well, actually, it is related because, of course, the person that has sent this email in, yes. did she not have her hand down your... Your shirt. There is photographic evidence of this on the uh, Blue Box podcast. What Facebook I meant was, page. is it relevant to the contents of the email? Well, no, it's just a chance to uh, laugh at your expense. But... <laughs> JR got a very good deal on a raw reaction figure just because he managed to unbutton a few more buttons on his shirt. And neither of those things were a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, getting back to... Actually, Colleen makes some really good points, so we should actually... Which is why I thought we it. should yeah. read it. Yeah, okay. So, she says, I'm really enjoying the current Blue Box podcast about season one of Doctor Who. I'm currently about halfway through. A good balance has been struck between keeping the discussion focused while allowing it to be fluid where necessary. I'm very pleased that JR rates Reign of Terror so highly, although I personally prefer the Aztecs. Any thoughts on that, JR? I think I gave my thoughts two weeks ago when we talked about those two stories. I think one thing that is not brought out here now, although Lee does. It's a nice try, Mark. (laughs) In the discussion about the Aztecs, is the notion I've always had that there's a distinction between history, with a capital H, and simply the past. The famous quote says, You can't rewrite history, not one line, implying the big events uh, of written history cannot be changed. The fixed points, as they're called in the new series. But uh, that perhaps you can mess around in the margins of the past and change smaller stuff. You can't kill Hitler, no matter how rubbish he is, but you can save a small family of Romans from the destruction of Pompeii without doing any great damage to the fabric of time. I agree the show hasn't been consistent when discussing these issues, and I guess it depends on how seriously you take the notion of the butterfly effect and whether there is such a thing as smaller stuff when talking about the past, given the possible snowball effect of saving even one life in the past. Of course, all this uh, only usually seems to apply to human history, as the Doctor seems to bugger him around, changing the history of other planets to his heart's content. Oh, Mark, did you have to read the word bugger? I did. Uh, <laughs> it makes me wonder about Genesis of the Daleks, though, and whether the Time Lord's mission for the Doctor ever had a chance of success. Did the Doctor truly have free will on Scaro, or were his actions or inactions already predetermined? He couldn't prevent the Daleks being created because that's not what happened. An important uh, any important event with massive millennia-spanning implications has already been hardwired into the fabric of time, and any attempt to change it would be doomed to failure. Mm. Mm. That's an interesting argument, that. Isn't it? She she didn't mention the time ring. Is that another ping? That's got to be a ping. Uh, <laughs> you get a ping for that, David. <laughs> Did she bring up some interesting things there? She does, though? yeah. She makes some really good points. Mm. Yeah. Probably too much to really start in on now, though, because it would be another 15 minutes on that. Maybe next time. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about time again at some point. Um, And, well, we've got a very interesting email from Richard Judge here. Um, Hi, JR, Lee, Mark and Simon. And Dan and David are looking at me now, waving (laughs) at me. (laughs) uh, Touché. He says, first of all, just wanted to say how much I've been enjoying the recent podcast, my favourite being episode 61 with Richard Marson, which is the one in which Mark and I both appear and don't say a single word. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so after mentioning all four of us at the head of the email, he then goes on and says his favourite email is the one in which none of us appear. Richard is very interesting. That's a bit like having Blink as your favourite episode of Doctor Who, isn't it? (laughs) Um, My main reason for emailing was to suggest a potential topic for an upcoming podcast. I was wondering if you'd consider doing a show on Doctor Who's missing episodes. Some of the aspects that you could discuss would be which ones you guys would personally like to see. Do you think that some may still exist? And what would be the best way to go about recovering them? Could episodes really exist in the hands of private collectors? And what about the rumours that circulate within fandom? Do you think that the last known recovery was handled well? By that, I mean, was it a good idea to keep the recovery a secret so there could be a surprise screening? You could then talk about how the missing episodes should be recreated. Should they be animated or should they be presented telesnap style? And anyway, would there be a market for such releases? Well, that's interesting. We can spend a couple of minutes on that because there are these huge rumours which I don't want to talk about because if they're not true, you'd be wasting your breath. And if they are true, I'd rather wait and see. I think what's interesting out of that is the debate over whether missing episodes which there will always be some missing episodes um i imagine um whether they should be animated or whether they should be brought out in telesnap form um as a viewer that's watched all of the missing stories in telesnap form um i would say that that is a really rewarding way of watching them um i I like the animations too but the interesting thing i found watching telesnap stories was that you come away from it feeling like you've watched a whole yeah. episode. You don't feel like you've sort of sat there looking through, you know, a collection of photographs. And that's an interesting experience in itself. But the problem is, of course, telesnaps, you know, for maybe a thousand people would prefer that experience. Whereas a DVD that sells 50,000 copies for the other 49,000 of those, that would just be a slideshow. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm not saying I find it problematical myself. Well, it depends on what I... you consider to be your audience, doesn't it, at the end of the day? And, you know, you could, if you wanted to, and if you felt that the commercial need was there, you could probably shove <clears throat> 20 episodes of Doctor Who out on a Blu-ray, you know, with just the telesnap. At, oh, you could. And you not spend a lot of money doing it, maybe not get a huge return, but, you know. Well, the one for Galaxy 4 was quite good, didn't they, released? Yeah. That was really good because the animated elements were really good and interesting as well. But But what I'm saying is it works as an extra feature, right? But could it work as feature material? That's the question. I I really like the animations, but the thing about that is it's open to interpretation. I don't like the Reign of Terror animation, but I love the invasion. And I like what I've seen of Tenth Planet as well. Um because it it's understated. The Reign of Terror, as I said in a previous episode, I found really distracting because there was a mix of methods, whereas the invasion animation was uh, consistent. It was a consistent Yeah, but style. to a certain degree, you're a person who looks at what the method is, whereas yeah. 99% of the people who are watching that animation would just see it as moving pictures telling a story. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, when I saw the animation for Reign of Terror, I found it really distracting and i yeah but I'm what i'm saying is we that... look more closely at this than well, most people yeah maybe but i mean I, I think just the way it was produced there's sort of extra cutting you know halfway through lines and stuff i just mm. thought was really distracting and i 
I don't know. I would have thought any viewer would find that distracting. I don't know. Maybe, but I think I think most viewers would find telesnaps even more distracting. You know, not us, <laughs> but you know, most people who buy the DVDs are not the people who are on the forums, not the people who you know think about this stuff, talk about this stuff. You know what I mean? Gallifrey-based, biggest forum, 50 people posting on those threads, whereas, you know, thousand times that many are buying the DVDs. Yeah, possibly. I think, well, all I'm saying is, if you're the person who is spending the money, the budget, Mm. on putting these DVDs together, you've got to have a much bigger picture in mind than just Doctor Who fans. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you, but then I think maybe you know things like the Lost in Time box set would maybe disprove that. Well, that's a it? specialist release, isn't it? Mm. And, I mean, presumably it has sales to match. Yeah. Because I should imagine that sold a lot fewer. Yeah, it's, it's going fairly cheaply now, isn't it? It's been cheap for quite a while, isn't it? Well, they all become cheap in the end. He does make one <laughs> final... Um, Richard Judge does make one final point before he gets to the end of his... Email, finally, I'd also like to hear your thoughts on Ian Levine's imagining of Sharda. I was lucky enough to see it and thought it was brilliant. I was very disappointed that Too Entertained could not find a home for it on one of their releases, as I know it would have been something that fandom as a whole would have embraced. It's such a shame that we'll probably go unseen. Anyway, thanks again, guys, and I hope you don't mind the suggestion. Laters. And that was from Richard Judge. Uh, of course... He probably doesn't realise, but I did actually write quite a lengthy review of Sharda, which you can find on the Starburst <laughs> website. Because I don't, I don't think it's really appropriate to talk about it at length in the podcast, to be honest, since they didn't release it. Because if I was to do like a review in inverted commas of it now, that would be like a very exclusive thing to do. It'd sound like Joe Wiley. Yeah, it'd be sound like one-upmanship, wouldn't it? <laughs> Well, we haven't seen it, so we couldn't comment anyway. So, no. so you know, if you want to know what I thought about it, just Google Charter Starburst and it should come up. Or go on the Starburst website and just type in Charter in the search engine, which they've got now. Right, guys. Uh, anybody got anything else they want to say about Daleks? Or should we just call it a night? <laughs> I think it's time to call it a night. Um, well, in that case, I was JR. I was Mark. I was Simon. I was David. And I was Dan. And we'll speak again soon. Into the blue. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Classy. Is this still recording? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is going on the outtakes loop, isn't it? Let's face it. <laughs> that's all right, because I get to edit it again before it goes to Starburst, so. <laughs> so you think. Uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a word with the guys, I'm sure they won't mind us if we go out. I'm just, just kidding. Turn them off his stroke. It's unusual for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to record a podcast? Or just gonna... <laughs> no, let's I'm just carry on like this. Yes, my... <laughs> I need to eat hour. tonight at some point. <laughs> You're listening. <laughs> it's going to be a long night. <laughs> it's be a very long night. <laughs> you started smouldering before you started. I start smouldering. <laughs> I just got warmer in here. <laughs> okay. Shush! Wow. You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast. And for the next 60 minutes... <laughs> what the hell was you that? can't say that! <laughs> he was doing a smouldering voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>